Hey, what's up, Story Geeks? Thanks for joining us today on the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Justin, and we have reached the end of our summer series of conversations about video games. Today, we'll be discussing some of the big ideas communicated through the exploration game Outer Wilds by Mobius Digital. I consider myself a casual gamer, much like the majority of our current Story Geeks community, which is why I am joined for this series by a serious gamer, my co-host Ryan Swindoll. How's it going, Ryan? It's going so well, and confession time, I may have set up this whole idea of having conversations on video games so we could discuss this game today. I have not had people to talk about this game with since it came out, and I'm geeking out right now. And for this conversation, we are joined by fellow Story Geeks podcast host, Nick Duke. How are you doing, Nick? I am fantastic. And I don't know anybody else who's played Outer Wilds, except for you two. So I've I've never talked to anyone about it. And so I'm looking forward to digging deep into it. So you guys are the first people I've talked to about this game also. So all three of us are very excited. Thank you to you, our listener, for joining us today. I hope this conversation will feel like we're all gathered around a campfire, roasting marshmallows, Mm, looking at the stars, and Mm. reflecting together on what we're learning about our world. Dozing off and hearing that creepy music that signals the end of the world. Right, it's really appealing at first, but then you're like, oh no. Also, if we're wearing space helmets, how do we eat the marshmallows? Ooh. You do take it off. That's true. (laughs) There always seems to be trees around the fire. I guess that's how they made the fire. That's it. They chopped yeah. down some of those trees. Oh, you need oxygen to make a fire. Nice. We're learning things already. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure you don't miss any of the upcoming podcasts or to check out our previous conversations, you can subscribe to The Story Geeks on your favorite podcast provider. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. Thanks for listening in. All right, here is where we issue the spoiler warning. I think this is the most severe spoiler warning I have ever given. I realized that most of the time when I think about spoiler warnings, I think of them more as like a spoiler heads up. But this time, I truly mean it's a warning. If you have any interest in playing this game and have not yet, I'd say stop listening and come back once you've played. Tim from the Story Geeks YouTube channel is not going to listen to the podcast until (laughs) after he's played the game. So, yeah, I feel like so much of this game is about discovering what the game is about. Yeah. So we'll ruin part of the experience no matter what we discuss here. But I'm curious, do either of you have a quick encouragement for a listener to go play the game? Or do you have anything you want to share with someone that hasn't played the game that you wish you knew before you had played it? This game is super niche. It's so hard to recommend it because I think this will either be your favorite game or you'll be like, I can't even figure out where to begin on this game. And in some ways, it's fun to just play niche games because it's a unique experience you'll never have anywhere else. So that alone may encourage you to check out Outer Wilds. And if it doesn't, maybe look up some videos on it because it's just a really interesting handcrafted universe that they made for this game. And I definitely recommend it. Yeah, IGN has a really nice four-minute boiler-free review of the game. I feel like that sets it up nicely if you're thinking about playing it. 
But what I would encourage people to do is play it and keep in mind that there's just no hand-holding <laughs> that this game does. It's all about you using your knowledge of probably previous video games, applying it to this game, and then it's kind of a cycle of that, just learning and moving forward and learning and moving forward. I'm trying to say that without spoiling anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Nick, I think I would have loved to have fully understood a similar thing that this game doesn't give you missions or tell you what you're supposed to do at any given time. It really is just an invitation to be curious and explore whatever you want and whatever mm -hmm. interests you. And so I wish I had gone in with more of a mindset of discovery than a desire to just like beat it. Right. I think I would have enjoyed the entire experience more. And so we're going to start getting into that. So spoiler warning right off the bat. You know, I tried my best, Justin. We started out with the goose game, which is very task oriented. Yeah. You got the missions right there in your notebook. And then right. we moved to journey, which has no missions. It's just the sense you're supposed to progress. And then we did inside and what remains of Edith Finch. And both of those don't have missions either. It's just this sense of progress through a linear path. And then I dropped the open world game on you. And now it's like, where are the quest lines? You were whittling me off it the whole time. And I didn't I even know. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy to me that the world and all of its answers are right there for you from the very beginning. If you know where to look, if you know where to go, if you know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. It's just a really interesting model for a game. But Rai, I want to turn it over to you since you curated the list of these games. And could you just give us some context for Outer Wilds? Totally. We're already getting into it. Yeah. In Outer Wilds, you play as a Harthian space cadet tasked with exploring a strange and beautiful star system. Harthians are these four-eyed salamander aliens who love camping and boldly going where no Harthian has gone before. They fly around on wooden rocket ships. That's how uh, cavalier they are about their safety. <laughs> As uh, the space cadets before you have actually marooned themselves all over the star system for the love of space exploration, and they're all whiling away their isolation playing music around lonely campfires. Before you blast off, though, you need to get the launch codes, which involves a series of tutorials on your home planet in how to steer a lander, how to jetpack, how to tune into space music, how to avoid the deadly ghost matter, and etc. You also learn that Harthians were not the first aliens to travel this star system. The Nomai, who are a race of three-eyed goat nomad scientists, <laughs> lived here some 200,000 years ago, and they left behind these ruins and artifacts before going extinct for unknown reasons. So you go up, you get the launch codes, and right before you leave, you pass by a Nomai statue wearing a mask and it turns and it stares at you, which is pretty creepy. And then it like takes a snapshot of all your memories in the game to date. It's like weird and unexplained and you know, whatever. And you get in your ship and you blast off. And from there, the game completely opens up. And I mean, completely, you can go anywhere you like and do anything. You might try to land on the moon. You might follow a strange banjo to a distant planet. You might accidentally fling yourself into the sun. But no matter what you do, you are invariably killed at the 22-minute mark. And why? You might not notice it the first time. 
but your memories are then sucked through that Nomai mask in some strange afterlife and sent back into time to the moment right before you blasted off. And now you're like, wait, wait, what? Is this one of those Groundhog Day time loops? And the answer is, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so curious. This moment of getting out into the open and being presented with that freedom, no quest lines. What did that feel like? Where were you at when this game really got started? It was awesome for five seconds, and then I <laughs> crashed into the moon. Because <laughs> I was still trying to figure out the controls for the craft. So I was just like full burn, accelerating straight up, not looking at like positioning of the moon that's going around the planet, and just went headfirst into that crash and then restart. <laughs> Kablammo. <laughs> so I was introduced to the repeat life death loop pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar experience. I don't remember exactly what I crashed into first because there were many, many crashes. Yeah. I feel like my experience of this game is a full story arc in and of itself. <laughs> I'm going to Quentin Tarantino it. I'm going to tell you the end. I've gotten a little choked up in some of our games from this curated list, but this is the only one that I actually had tears during the mm. conclusion. But it started where this game felt like a chore. Like, I was doing it so that I could have something to say on this podcast. I had never played a flight simulator before. And mm. so it took me a good long time to learn the controls of the ship. And then it took me embarrassingly long to realize that there was an autopilot function. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was trying to manually fly everywhere. And I also went back into kind of the game modes that I've been habituated for. So I flew to Dark Bramble because that sounded interesting to me. That looks cool. Yeah. And then I kind of told myself, oh, this is probably the last level because I <laughs> pretty quickly got eaten over there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not going back there again. So I was forcing myself into these more conventional boxes right. and rhythms and routines that I'd kind of learned and picked up from other games. So a lot of my experience of this game over time was learning to not make the game harder for myself and mm. just enjoy it for what it was. There's this idea in video games called progression. And it's when you level up in an RPG or you unlock a new tool in a platformer or watch a cutscene in a shooter. And it's like the way the game shows you that you're making progress and it can hide content from you by simply removing tools or knowledge that you need in order to you know, make your way in those like late content areas. Yeah. So it was really interesting how you like fell into that frame of mind that you might pick up from another game. You know, oh, okay, well, if I died really easily, then obviously I'm not prepared to go there. Right. Yeah. And this game, like you're saying, has just a really fascinating model. There's no load screens once yeah. you wake up. You can go anywhere. There's no gear to pick up. You are ready to beat the game as soon as you realize what questions you need to ask and what you need to discover. This game is like a mystery that's wrapped in a physics puzzler that's mm -hmm. wrapped in a flight simulator. Yeah, that's pretty perfect way to describe it. <laughs> and it was, it was talking to you, Justin, that helped me clue in that this is a flight simulator because I grew up on base simulators like X-Wing. Mm -hmm. And that taught me, 
you know, the basic cheats of Newtonian physics in space, right? Right. And so I was using some of that when I was playing this game because I grew up on games like that. But I, it never occurred to me that if someone hadn't played those kind of games, that this might be a little difficult. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I am so used to games being very consistent with, like, the character. And so this game still was, but I ended up asking myself, like, who made my character an astronaut? He is not <laughs> ready. <laughs> I did know about the autopilot, <laughs> but I really enjoyed just manually kind of trying to move around the system. Um, and I love that in this game, it's not really much in any other games, maybe like No Man's Sky or something, but just like a gravitational pull of the different planets and like how you have to uh, adjust your thrust on approach to like orbit. And then like you can look yeah. down at the, you know, the camera on the bottom of your ship you know kind of like the apollo landers and stuff like that and, yeah. and it looks like that too it's just like black and white tv <laughs> it <laughs> is look it is. and it's fun to just kind of try to go from one planet to another and try to like just do like a perfect landing you know and mm -hmm. just like oh that was smooth it landed perfectly <laughs> and then other times you know if you're coming in just a little too hot like the gravity takes hold of your ship or something and you just slam right into a rock and then you have to get out and repair <laughs> different pieces of the ship. Yeah. There was one time that my ship was reading, you know, massive hole damage. I'm like, oh, okay. So I unbuckle, <laughs> turn around, and I'm out of the ship. And I'm like, oh my goodness, my entire ship is gone. That was massive hole damage. <laughs> I, I think I slammed into Giant's Deep at full throttle. And yeah, yeah the cockpit popped off. And I was like trying to repair it. And I was like, no, no, it's beyond repair. I'm going to die here. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's many moments, too, where you're in the middle of space and you accidentally get out of the ship yeah. or something. And then you're just kind of like floating in one direction and you're going the other. And it's just like, there's no way I'm catching up to that. And then it's right. just you in space waiting to run out of oxygen <laughs> yeah or you park it on brittle hollow and then you fall through the black hole yeah <laughs> and then you see oh my ship is way over there yeah it'll say like ship 20 meters away and then you fall through the black hole and it's like a thousand kilometers away <laughs> it's like oh great there are so many just really fun and just very inventive ideas in this game about how you can make 3D planets become really interesting to explore. Mm. And it's honestly been one of the big challenges that I've faced as a game maker and as a sci-fi nerd, how to make real world planets interesting mm -hmm. without just making them all look like Earth mm. yeah. or support, you know, some kind of weird alien life. And I think this game succeeds by going in this really wild direction where it's like, what if we take all the real world astrophysics concepts we're familiar with and just throw them in a blender together and see what comes out. Mm. You know, let's put a black hole in the middle of a world. Mm -hmm. Let's have two planets that are orbiting each other, but then one is dropping sand from itself into the other. So one is slowly decreasing in volume and the other is slowly increasing. Yeah. And these ideas you can find in actual space with binary stars, you know, in a cataclysmic event, the material of one is getting sucked into another, but you wouldn't necessarily see it on the planet level. 
And so this game just like takes these concepts and makes them accessible in worlds you can explore. And then they build puzzles out of all of them. And I, I just give mad props to the designers of this game for, I think, not only conceiving of these ideas, but then actually finding a way to program it, which could not have been easy. Yeah. What are you guys' favorite planet? I like the Ash Twins, which is what Ryan yeah. was mentioning. Like the concept of those planets are amazing. Like I've never seen that before in anything, especially a game. And the puzzles that are involved with that and just like there's things that you can do only at certain times. Yeah. And when a sand is at certain levels on each side, there's only a certain amount of time you have to do something. So you've got you got to be quick. And if you don't get it, it's like, well, now I got to wait till the sun blows up or maybe I can just jump off a huge cliff or something and then reset <laughs> so I can get back to that spot. It was such an original kind of like puzzle planet, you know? Yeah. yeah. That and Brittle Hollow uh, were probably yeah. the two best puzzle planets. But as a favorite planet, I'd probably go back to Dark Bramble. <laughs> the pockets that, you know, it's bigger inside than it looks like it should be. And then the anglerfish were horrifying, and uh, that was yeah. so cool. Yeah, Brittle Hollow is one of my favorites. Mm. The design of that world is so beautiful. The exterior looks pretty boring. It's just all mm -hmm. of these kind of rock chunks, and then there are these interesting landmarks at the poles and kind of around the cardinal directions at the equator. But when you find a way to the inside, you realize that so much of the planet, like the locations and the cities and things, are built on the inside of the crust. Hmm. That's one of the richest places to explore and one of the hardest places to explore, too, because at any moment, the piece you're standing on could fall <laughs> <laughs> because the planet's getting bombarded and slowly cracking away and falling into the black hole that sits at the core of this planet. Hmm. And when that happens, you're like, oh, well, there goes my run, you know? Yep. <laughs> There's no way I'm I'm salvaging this. Yeah. I think a piece I was standing on fell into the black hole and I was able to use like enough juice in my jetpack to kind of fight against the pole. And nice. so like as I was going up, gravity from the black hole's pulling me down, and so I was just going straight kind of until I got sucked up by another gravity well and it's like, mm. "Oh, cool. I haven't been over here." <laughs> Yeah. So it went from, oh, no, I'm going to die, to, oh, hey, I think I can explore this area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great how even failure sometimes leads to new discoveries. Yeah. Like falling in that black hole. It's a horrifying moment when that first happens. And then yeah. you find yourself in this brand new area and you're like, wait, wait, what? And there's new concepts to explore there and even some puzzles to solve there once you understand the connection between brittle hollow and its black hole and the white hole that kind of sits unlabeled off of the star system mm -hmm. yeah and then i love that there's that station hidden in the shadows and it greets you with text almost immediately it's like hey if you fell through the black hole don't worry you're not the first you won't be the last <laughs> <laughs> it's so true so I'm curious to know a little bit more about your impressions of the Nomai, which are the aliens that lived long time ago, left all these ruins and settlements and technology behind. And what we're finding are these like leftover tablets or whiteboards where they had sketched their thoughts out in public. And it's this weird branching, you know, almost cyclical kind of communication 
that mm-hmm. you can then translate and learn about these people. I found them hilarious and like delightful. Yeah. Even though all we experience are these like tweet long, you know, little ideas from them. Yeah, I love the Nomai as a character because in other games like Mass Effect and like Halo, Halo's got the Forerunners, which is, you know, an alien race that came long before they've created like these amazing civilizations that have like seemingly advanced technology. They seem like these almost like mythological godlike races. In this game, the Nomai just seem like regular people. Mm. And what they value most is knowledge like human beings really like they they want to know and they want to understand and i really like that it wasn't this otherworldly race of people that you'll never know and you'll never see them they really allow you to get to know them and who they were and like they have names you know they record their successes and failures and it really fleshes them out to make them feel like these were real living people but they're like no less intelligent even though they've been more or less like humanized for the player, Mm -hmm. they're incredibly curious and they're often speculating on wild theories, but it's, I think that empathy they have for one another, usually the project of science is beset by a lot of strife or, you know, funding wars or things like that. And you Mm -hmm. just don't picture the Nomai as ever having these kinds of disagreements. Mm. If they do disagree, they like empathize with the person they disagree with, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, this really hopeful take on an advanced civilization, you know, with crazy powerful technology. Yeah. The conversations with the Nomai are one of the other ways I can kind of measure my own personal development through this game because at first I realized whether I read it or not my ship log will update with whatever I need to know so I'll kind of continue collecting rumors just by translating you know go 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 I'm on a time clock here and so there was a while that I didn't really take in all that text and then as I really began to chill out and slow down and just enjoy the game I laughed out loud a couple times at the things that were said. It reminded me a lot of the way Nathan Pyle writes the... Oh, Strange Planet? Strange Planet, yeah, the little four-window cartoons. Like, one of the Nomai was saying, like, are you pulling my locomotive limb? You know, it's like a saying that we have, but that's not how we say it. That's hilarious. And there's one that really likes blowing stuff up, and I just enjoyed reading him. That was one of the ways that the game slowly brought me in, was learning about these people that came before me. Oh gosh, it's so funny. Our desire is that this series felt like a book club for video games, so a big thank you to everyone that shared their thoughts, experiences, and questions with us throughout the process. Please join the Story Geeks Facebook group, which is where we held most of the dialogue for each of these games, and where we will continue to have conversations about geek culture. You can also engage with us on Instagram by following at the Story Geeks. We look forward to hearing from you. So the long middle act is you gradually unraveling a star system sized puzzle. You quickly learn that this time loop is happening 22 minutes before your star blows up, which leads to everyone's death. So obviously your goal becomes, how do I stop this? Mm. 
and you slowly piece together the story of the Nomai, learning they came to your star system looking for this thing called the Eye of the Universe, which is this mystical place that is older than the universe itself and happens to orbit your sun, albeit at a distance that is too great to see. So the Nomai caught the eye signal, they followed it at great peril to themselves, and then tragically they lost it when the signal mysteriously went silent after they arrived in your star system. So then the Nomai survivors, they bend all their creative scientific energy into finding the eye. They make Stonehenge-esque maps, they plumb the mysteries of the quantum moon, and then finally they just go with that good old fashioned, let's just shoot a probe at it and see if we can hit it. <laughs> of course, space is vast, requiring millions of probes for this strategy to work, so they devise a time loop that will act as a kind of like recursive program. You know, we'll shoot a probe randomly, see if it finds the eye, and if not, we'll trigger the time loop and we'll try again shooting somewhere else. Really, it's like a genius solution and like horribly convoluted. But that's the kind of thing that the Nomai like, you know, really convoluted science. So... <laughs> Unfortunately, to power the time loop, they need to blow up the sun. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, <laughs> you know, too bad. This is like way against their ethics, and probably it would be against our ethics too if we ever advanced to the point where we could blow up the sun ourselves. But it's, it comes as a surprise to the player when we learn that the Nomai didn't succeed in blowing up the sun hmm. because they couldn't find a way to do it. And in fact, like it, it causes them a lot of grief because it means that all of this infrastructure they set up to find the eye of the universe now can't be used and just lies dormant. And then you realize that they never reached the eye of the universe. And the fact that the sun is blowing up now is not a result of their actions long ago, but rather just because your star is reaching the end of its natural life cycle. And as it blows up, it activates all this machinery they left behind and actually finds the eye, this becomes like your new quest is, oh, okay, I know where the eye is now. Well, should I complete what they started? And it's this weird tension, I think, because you know the Harthians are doomed because you can't stop the sun blowing up, but what hope of peace do you have to find by finding the eye of the universe? I mean, what even really is this thing? It's not clear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I'm curious, as you advanced in the story and got really up until the point where you knew the pieces of the endgame, like how you were processing the revelations of what the Nomai were doing, and then like how you felt the story would end. I didn't have a sense for the connection of the various projects until right near the end, partially because of what I was saying about skipping through text to try to find more rumors to get to the next, you know, quote unquote level. So it wasn't until I really hit some walls <laughs> pretty close to the end of the game that I started reading through all of the ship log data that I had collected and trying to understand what I had seen but hadn't fully comprehended and starting to try to connect those dots. So a lot of the puzzles, while they end up fitting in perfect harmony at the end, felt very separate. Yeah, so I was still thinking the quantum moon and the sixth location. That's the answer. That's where I'm going. I had already been to the inside of Dark Bramble and kind of found everything in there from the dead Nomai to the vessel. 
so I thought I had kind of tapped all that and I was so sick of the sunless city <laughs> that I just didn't give either of the twins the time of day. So, yeah, it, it took a call to my good friend Ryan Swindoll to kind of talk me <laughs> off a ledge of uh, not playing this game anymore and kind of recenter me on what are you curious about, what do you know, what do you not know, and what do you want to find out? I was like your personal rumor board. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the plot of this game is just as complex as the gameplay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is. It's like, bravo. But kind of like Justin, I was starting to get to a point where I was getting burned out on not the puzzles themselves, but like the amount of puzzles. You know, like, I, I really don't know where to go next. But yeah, like love going to like the comet, the interloper. Yeah. Yeah. And at first it was just like a personal little goal of like, oh, I wonder if I could land on that meteorite. I wasn't thinking like, you know, that's a part of progression and finding out, oh, there, there actually is a recording here to, to read. Oh, as it gets closer to the sun, the ice melts. Oh my gosh, there's tunnels in here. (laughs) And like once you go deeper into the interloper and there's like this weird stone stuff and like ghost particles, Mm -hmm. like that's the thing that killed all the Nomai. I was like, oh, whenever I found out like something big like that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep going. And you don't have to discover any of that to quote unquote beat the game, but Mm -hmm. it's all there that just adds to the richness of this world Mm -hmm. it's a game that's like so principled about rewarding discovery Mm. so if you manage to land on that comet they're going to bake in a little puzzle for you to solve or several and then like a giant revelation about the world Yeah. yeah and then this game got in deep for me i have been listening to the soundtrack for the last like five days yeah I played it for my kids as they were going to bed tonight. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that when you're using the signal scope out in space and like suddenly there's a banjo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> go and try to figure out where that's coming from and why yeah. is there a banjo? <laughs> and you should go explore it. Yeah. But you spend so much of your time alone. Yeah. The music of this game not only reminded you that there are other characters that are out there with you, but it really felt like the homiest reminder of community that the game had. So what really drove me through kind of this latter half of the middle of the game was this idea of the eye of the universe was so fascinating. I'm I'm a huge lover of sci-fi And so when something like the eye of the universe is older than the universe and it's got all of these quantum mechanics that have been, you know, instantiated on a macro scale and it also may be communicating with us. Okay, you have just pushed all of my go buttons. (laughs) I'm like, I got to find this thing. You know, (laughs) I want to know more about what it is and why the Nomai were seeking it and what they hope to achieve by finding it. And like, I also kind of just... I hope that the game ends there, right? Right. So I got really invested in finishing the game. And I was like one of the first players. And unfortunately, like some of the last puzzles of the game hadn't been properly play tested yet. So I was like knocking my head over and over again, trying to figure out like the last puzzle of the game. And it was just too difficult. Mm. (laughs) There weren't (laughs) enough clues. And they had like since gone back and patched the game 
and added a bunch of clues that I could have been able to solve, but it (laughs) was nonetheless still satisfying to like get there. And, you know, I have to like ask myself, why, why is the eye of the universe so interesting to me as this maybe metaphor for God? I don't know. The Nomai's experience of heard the signal, followed at great peril to themselves, and then lost it. And then this like sense of loss as they're separated from their people, they're trying to find it. And then ultimately this tragic end that they can't find it. It kind of takes all of that pent up hope that they had and it like imbues your character with it so that you can now bring about the fulfillment that they had tried to achieve for themselves. I mean, I was so sold. I was in. (laughs) I feel like your experience with that last puzzle would have identified you so closely with the Nomai. You're like, I get it, guys. I can't find it either. I'm right there with you. (laughs) If only they had read it. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting, though, because with this game, it's probably the only game that seeking knowledge somewhere else to help you progress in it is acceptable because that's like what the whole game is about. You know, it's like the know my race values knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and they seek to understand. It's it's funny that when you you get frustrated to the point where you're like, somebody just please tell me how to get past this. You go and seek knowledge from people who have gone through it before and know how to get through it. You're totally right. So that you can move through it. And I love when a game's story and theme also applies to the gameplay like that. You know, it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said at the beginning, we can't talk about anything about this game because finding Mm -hmm. out what the game is about is really finding out what the game is about. It's just all about discovery. One question I wanted to ask, I'm curious how you guys discovered ways that you were making the game harder for yourself. Like, was there a puzzle that you misread or took in a wrong way? Or like I was talking about, kind of put yourself in an unnecessary box from previous experiences. There were a number of ways that I did this. And the one that cracked me up after I figured out exactly how simple it was, was trying to land on the quantum moon. There were two things I was doing wrong. (laughs) I was convinced that I needed to have like a live feed of the quantum moon, not just a still image. So when I shot Mm. my probe at it, I would be rendering a new picture as quickly as I could over and over. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, it goes to static. And so the way that I interpreted that was my second mistake. Not that, you know, I'm going about this wrong and making it too hard for myself from the get-go. But there's one Nomai writing that talks about how you can only enter that quantum moon at the South Pole. And I just apparently swapped a preposition in my head. And so I thought you could only enter it from the South Pole. (laughs) And so I would spend so much time flying around that planet And finally, I figured out how to match velocity so I could actually do this very inefficient (laughs) project a little more efficiently. And I was trying to figure out where the clouds were swirling so that I knew I was looking at either the north or the south pole. And I've got a (laughs) 50-50 chance now, and I can at least try. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it was so freeing. But, you know, I also was kind of like swearing at myself under my breath when I finally figured out, <laughs> just take a picture of the thing and land. Like, <laughs> Was there anything like that for you guys where you realized you were, you know, doing the wrong thing or uh, just oh, yeah. making the game harder for yourself than it was? Yeah, for me, it was the, the dark bramble. First time I went in there, you know, you're flying through, you get eaten by one of the angler fish. I thought I was just going the wrong way. Mm -hmm. so i just kept like going and it's all like foggy and the brambles going all over the place yeah so i was like okay i went right the first time i went in so now i'll go left okay now i'll go down now i'll go up okay maybe i just have to stay like close to the bramble but not so close that my ship doesn't get injured right and doing things like that until i did realize oh it's just i was going too fast right and then and then you find <laughs> out it's just no just be quiet and it's yeah. Like, oh, okay. I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So I I have so many memories of just making it so much more complicated. So I didn't land on Giant's Deep, which is the gas giant looking planet, mm -hmm. for like half of the game because I thought it would just crush me. Mm. Because I'm like, that's how gas giants work in real life. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> so I didn't even bother to try. Right. <laughs> It has the highest gravitational pull of any of the planets. It's very right. hard to maneuver there, but you can survive. It's really the only planet that still like makes me feel some fear mm -hmm. as I'm like navigating it because those water spouts are like giant tornadoes. Mm -hmm. And even though I know they can't hurt me and all they'll do is delay me, I still am terrified. I'm just going to like run right into one and then just get thrown around like a rag doll. Yeah. <laughs> But the most convoluted way I made this harder for me was I was like trying to build the end game before I got to that last location that I couldn't find. I needed Reddit's help, right? Mm -hmm. But I had so much time to think about this that I created this overwrought solution. I was like, okay, so I think the end of the game, I need to go to the Sunless City, to the High Energy Lab, and take two of those warp cores, but I have to take two journeys. And I have to beam over to Ash Twin and then I have to beam over to the Black Hole Forge where I take those two different cores and I forge them into a single advanced warp core, which then I take all the way to the Bramble. And somehow I've got to do all this in 22 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> already given myself the sweats. Yeah. Trying try to figure out how I was going to pull this off. And of course, it's like much, much simpler than that. It's so hard in a game like this because there isn't an established language of the game. And so you're not sure what progression looks like in some cases. Mm -hmm. You're looking for that ship log updated. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you're not getting that, you're like, ah, okay, well, I'm not learning anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to know if you're making progress on a puzzle because so many times getting to a new location is what it means to make progress in this game. Right. It's very mind-bendy, and it requires a lot of thought. And I think we're used to binging games, a little bit like binging, you know, Netflix. Mm -hmm. And there's no time to, like, sit, think, sleep on it. And a game like this, which involves a lot of deduction, a lot of inference, requires, I think, your mind to, like, walk away from it for a little while and then come back. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just going to get frustrated like Justin Weaver. Exactly, and no one wants that for anyone. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this curated list of video games to play and that you find the discussion on them to be thought-provoking and entertaining. 
If you would like us to continue producing video game content, let us know. Feel free to post the topic, game, or theme you want us to tackle in the future. We'll also be putting up some recommendations from Ryan for other games to try if you love the game we're discussing, so head over to our Patreon page and check that out. If you want more information on this podcast or a backlog of all of our content, be sure to visit thestorygeeks.com. So this brings us to the end of the game. What is the eye of the universe, and how could finding it possibly bring about a resolution to the end of the world? So at the very end of the game, you've unlocked all of these plots that the Nomai had used to find the eye of the universe. You grab what's called an advanced warp core, and then you hightail it over to the vessel that's capable of a warp drive that can take you to the eye of the universe, which is this horrible moment in the game where you have actually deactivated the time loop device and thus imperiled yourself. If one of those anglerfish sink its teeth around you, (laughs) or you accidentally fly too fast into the bramble and crash on the wall and blow up your ship, you're dead. The game loop is over, the credits roll. And so the tension is real. But if you manage to do all these things, you warp out before the supernova happens, and then you see before you this purple planet with this swirling vortex of lightning clouds. And this is the eye of the universe. So the eye is this very conceptual space borrowed from quantum mechanics where all possible worlds exist simultaneously. And only when an observer looks at it do the possibilities collapse into some kind of single reality. And you warp down and you actually stand on it. You begin walking across the surface and you see this constantly shifting landscape of rocks and trees and ruin that kind of flash in and out of existence when the lightning makes things dark and then light again. And finally, you leap into the core and you have, you know, that classic 2001 Space Odyssey moment, right? You're like falling through this vortex. And then you're seeing these alternate versions of your planet. And then you're meeting the other space cadets of your species around a campfire. You're like, wait, what's going on? And you've learned in the meantime that the entire universe has passed into darkness. Like all the stars have blown up and gone dark, not just yours. And the only ones left now are you and those the eye have brought together around the campfire. And there, each explorer plays their musical instrument. And you learn that all along, they have been harmonizing with each other, playing their own instruments. Mm -hmm including that one living nomai you found in some kind of time paradox on the quantum moon. And their song, when heard separately, sounds joyful, but when it's blended together, takes this melancholic longing. And this, I think, is the collective longing that you share in the face of this inevitable death of your universe. But as the song plays and the campfire embers die out, A new universe is forming in the smoke, and all you have to do is reach out and touch it to observe it and make it the new reality. And that is where the game ends. You are in space at the Big Bang of a new universe, forged from the campfires and folk tunes of the old. Then the credits roll, and afterward you see in the post-credit sequence that 14.3 billion years later, there are these new aliens that are gathering around a campfire. 
under strange and beautiful planets and stars. It's so cool. <laughs> I was trying to figure out 14.3 billion years. How many Jeremy Baramies do you guys think that is? <laughs> I watched 2001 and I was like, this is so weird. This yeah. is just so weird. And now there's this star baby. What? And that didn't leave me emotional. It left me going like, okay, you know, I don't get it. <laughs> and this game was easily just as out there and strange in some of those final sequences, but also really strum that relatable emotional chord. Right. It's not like a Lord of the Rings where you've watched these characters on their journey, a kind of emotional feeling. Right. It pulls real emotion out of you as you think about your place on the planet, in the solar system, in the galaxy, and then in the universe. Almost like mourning the fact that we're all going to pass away mm. one day, but yet there's this hope that things will become new again. When I was visiting the temple to the eye of the universe, I wanted the Nomai to have a spiritual director so badly because they were asking these hard questions of why isn't it talking to us anymore? Where has it gone? You yeah. know, doesn't it care? The dark night of the soul. Yeah. The, the dark nomai. night of the universe. Yeah. My goodness. Say, so, like, why did it reach out to us yeah. if it didn't want to be found, you know? Right. Yeah. Why would it call us here if it's not going to return our calls kind of a thing? Right. Nick, kind of like what you were saying, the end sequence was tugging at my emotions. And the way that I was kind of interpreting that is that the eye of the universe was sort of condescending to our character and mm -hmm. explaining all this in ways that we could understand. It was reminding mm -hmm. me of the 90s movie Contact oh, where yeah. Jodie Foster encounters aliens, but she sees it on a beach interacting with her father. Right. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> if, if someone is waiting to watch Contact <laughs> 30 years later. I was on a Matthew McConaughey kick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I feel like this reminds us of the reality of a meta narrative that the eye of the universe, I think, serves as a, an imperfect metaphor for God, but provides a certain amount of peace to all the travelers around the campfire in that last scene. Because if you talk to them before and after they start playing, they're all saying a very similar sentiment of, I don't know what comes next, but I'm excited to see it. We've never done this. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. And so I think even in the light of the end of their known universe, just that they can go out creating art. I didn't even realize it until Ryan was describing it. It reminds me of the musicians on the Titanic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In light of our impending doom, why not go out doing what we love? And in their final moments in this video game, they elicited so much emotion from me. Because, like you were saying, right, it's a song that I'm so familiar with, but they're playing it in a way I haven't heard. And then the Nomai, if you visited that sixth location, joins them and adds an instrument we haven't heard. Yeah. And that moment was so powerful to me. Yeah. We tend to fixate so much on our own lived experience. And that campfire kind of reminds us that 
we all are kind of singing a tune in our lives and there's a harmony that needs to be achieved. But then by adding the nomai in the mix, it like blows up even much bigger and says, you know, even other ages and peoples, even the universe itself like participates in this story. I'm reminded of how when I first played this game, I played it with my kids and my five-year-old watched the sun supernova and he got really scared that night that our sun was going to supernova at any time mm. and i tried to explain to him no no this is a game and you have a good you know four to five billion years you know before that's actually going to happen to us <laughs> yeah. but his comment was like but it's going to happen mm. uh. and it's like it is going to happen, yeah. And actually, it's going to happen everywhere. And they call it, you know, the heat death of the universe, or rather the great chill, right? <laughs> All the energy is going to convert to matter, and we're going to be left with a cold expanse of darkness. And that is, if you just play the scripts of astrophysics, that's what you're left with. Hmm. And we often don't think about that simply because it is so far outside of the time scale of our lives. I mean, who cares? But this game, I really appreciated. It made you care about that mm -hmm. and basically challenged you to say, well, you live in this universe. If you care about it, then you care about its own story. And that's what the eye of the universe, if I'm to speculate, like seemed to communicate in some of those final scenes, a kind of vision for what the life and death of the universe is really about and the part you play as, you know, an alien within it. It gives you empathy for those that came before and sympathy for those who come after mm. and kind of makes you want to try to make things better for them that come later. Yeah. I'm really challenged by this game because so many of the ideas in it have some kind of real world or real life astrophysics correlation. You know, quantum mechanics are kind of creatively applied to macro objects or the gravity puzzles would play out in kind of similar ways, you know, even if the, the energy content of those things are, are a little different. But what I find really interesting about the end of this game is we don't have any data that, you know, the end of our universe is going to be anything other than just its own freezing. And this game seems to want to say, you know, inside of us is this longing that even at the end of all things, there can be a new beginning. Mm -hmm. But that idea seems to be very much in our hearts and not so much in the data of the universe itself. And in some ways, by visiting the eye of the universe, the player and, you know, those travelers around the campfire make it possible for a new world to come out, even though by all accounts, that's kind of a miracle. Right. They observe all the realities that could come and they pick the one that involves Let's do it again. Mm. Yeah. So deep. So complex. <laughs> and it's in a video game. <laughs> Absolutely. Ryan, you used the term miracle. And just was making me think about if the eye of the universe was sentient, if it mm -hmm. was some kind of creator, if there is nothing but the data and the science, entropy is going to take over, like you said, and eventually there will be a cold death of the universe. Mm -hmm. And then if there is something other, if there is a separate thing 
outside of the universe, the Nomai we're talking about, was the eye of the universe created? Is it older than the universe? Is it outside the universe? What is this? So whether it's in the game as the eye of the universe or in our world, if you look toward God, it flavors some of the data because there's room for that miracle. What if the eye of the universe has a say in how the universe ends and begins? What if God can step in and alter what is happening? It leaves a lot of room for hope. Yeah. Yeah. The eye of the universe is supposed to be older than the universe itself, and then presumably it's present in the next. Yeah. Um, it's like the steward of the universes, you know? My kids asked me yesterday even, where's the center of the universe, Dad? And I'm like, no one knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in some ways, like this idea of the eye of the universe is, oh, it's, this, it's at the center, right? It's that mythical middle. But it's also an eye, which in terms of these quantum mechanics is a kind of observer. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like going to the eye of the universe is like staring the universe in the face. <laughs> <laughs> And if the idea of quantum mechanics kind of carries almost this relational theme in it, you know, the the observer is also being observed in the end. Right. Maybe by being seen by a power as great or as creating as the eye of the universe might have a change on you as well. It's not a coincidence that this campfire emerges at the end of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the end, it is found and it's allowing you to participate in what comes next. Exactly. I feel like we should get out our banjos. <laughs> and if we are going to form a band right now, I have dibs on whistling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we're walking right up to takeaways. Takeaways. Yeah. What I'm taking away from this game is the virtue of sitting by a campfire. I think this game invites us to slow our lives down. I've noticed in myself over time a temptation to always be chasing the next big thing, whether that's been for me finding a romantic relationship or finishing school or getting a good job or getting a promotion or buying a home. Whatever it is, I think we can tend to reach one of those goals. And instead of resting and enjoying it and being thankful, we immediately move into pursuing the next goal. And there's a kind of greed and impatience and lack of peace in that tendency I see in myself. And I realized that's how I first started playing the game. I didn't understand the idea of just explore for the sake of curiosity and for discovery. So I think I missed out on some of the more simple joys in the game and even missed the thrill of victory at discovering some of the things and solving some of the puzzles because I was so annoyed that I didn't know everything or I didn't see how it all connected or I didn't know the answer to the next puzzle. So yeah, the way that I learned this is what I was doing was I realized I was frustrated at all the other travelers. Whenever I bumped into them on the different planets, I was so impatient with their posture and their stance. They were just sitting by a fire, playing their instrument, kind of half-heartedly answering my questions, but not you know, joining my venture or giving me the next bit of crucial data that I really needed to get to, you know, unlock the next area or something, whatever I was wanting. So it took me a while before I even started roasting marshmallows in the game. 
And when I started to see, hey, campfires are a theme here. I wake up every day next to a campfire. I visit every single major character outside of my village at a campfire. I need to engage with what the game is saying. And I'm so thankful that I did because I think mm. that the ending bringing you right back to a campfire again wouldn't have been as powerful for me if I hadn't taken the time to really slow down. So I'm a pretty driven person and I'm going to keep accomplishing things and, you know, seek to provide a good life for my family but in the midst of that i don't want to miss the opportunities to you know sit with people around a campfire that's physical or digital like we're doing here mm -hmm. and be grateful for life and beauty and kind of going back to our last game just be thankful that we got to do this at all yeah i love that a game about space travel also makes you value just sitting by a fire right for me what i took away from it was the more we know about our environment or places we explore, that'll bring insight into ourselves through how we go about exploring those things and seeking knowledge. And the truth is only known if it's sought after and you have to do the work mm. to find it. Yeah. <laughs> In the case of this game, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can get really good at the flight simulator aspect of it. I landed my ship upside down on Brittle Hollow. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I was super proud of that. <laughs> File that under things Justin will never say. <laughs> <laughs> so playing this game for me reminds me of playing games with my dad as, mm. you know, a boy my own children's age. And we played a space exploration game and we would land on really pixelated planets but it was just fun because there was this sense of just vast open-endedness and the world being completely unexplored and that's just such a different world than we raise kids in today you know where everything is paved and games like these i love sharing with my kids because it reminds them how much there is in this universe that we don't know or that confounds our expectations and i hope it makes them really curious as learners to experiment with things and try things and i hope too that they experience that learning in community with me and with each other as a way to connect and this game like managed to take these two very disparate concepts, outer space and quantum mechanics and campfires and marshmallows yeah. <laughs> and blends them <laughs> in ways that make sense. And I love that. I love that about this game. And, you know, it inspires me as a creator to, to do more, to write more, to think more about mm. ultimate realities, kind of the truth with a capital T kind of things that are present with us. Right. And to not reduce truth to that lowercase t, right? To not try to fit it all in my head, but to rather fit my head onto the world in Chesterton's words. And that's a hard thing to do in a game that delivers that well and doesn't just reduce the world to a set of quest lines and simple objectives. I highly recommend this game for that reason, right? It is a tutor to just recapturing the simple joy of pure exploration. 
Yeah. All right. Well, this campfire is dwindling. We've burnt all our marshmallows and it's time to pack it up. So after listening to this podcast, head over to our Patreon page. If you are not yet supporting us on Patreon, you can still listen to Ryan's recommendations for other games you might enjoy if you loved Outer Wilds. If you are already a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to hear some more from this conversation that was cut from the final podcast, but preserved for you, our Patreon supporter. Now that this series is concluding, please let us know what you thought of it, how you liked the book club idea, or what you would love to see on the Story Geeks podcast in the future. Coming up next will be a podcast on the new live-action Mulan that was just released on Disney+. Fellow Story Geeks podcast hosts Sandra, Natalie, and Scylla will tackle that one with a special guest. To make sure you don't miss that or any of our other upcoming shows, please subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. And always seek the truth.